welcome to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, your guide to all places and plots exalted. I'm Rels. And I'm Aramithius. And just before we get started with this Nemon Hook episode, if you've got any feedback to give us, ping it down under or above or to the side of wherever you've managed to acquire this, this file and this podcast. Um, or send us an email at wondrousatlas, with or without an e, at gmail.com. <laughs> yes, we have both, because... We forgot how wondrous was spelled. <laughs> yes, because I can't spell, basically. <laughs> but yes. Anyway, Nimon and themes, or, well, I think lack thereof is going to be one of the points that we get to lately, but themes of the house as such, and that you can kind of bring yeah. into the games, because this episode is just... How you make whatever we've been talking about in the episode, in this case House Namon, into something to do with games and story and all that. We're generally speaking, we're quite mechanics light, but yeah. make of that what you will. <laughs> and it makes this theme section of the episode quite difficult because yeah. I'm here to offend you again since I know that you quite like House Kathak, but Namon's the one house that could be even more boring than them. Um, yeah, I can see that because it's not so much that they don't have a theme. It's just that they have all of them. So which one do you pick? You, you use Nemon as a stand-in for the realm. Yeah. Which is just a bit the, of a pain, really. Yeah. The first big one we've got is on the religious front. It's orthodoxy and heresy, uh, because Nemon does both. <laughs> yes. They're supposedly big and cosmopolitan and such as well, and at the same time being people who will hold up the religious orthodoxy. The idea is how far can you push it? How far is orthodox actually a thing? And at what point do you start breaking with the immaculate philosophy? And what happens when you do? Is this the point where we have the exalted Albigensian heresy? Yes. Yes, it is. And other niche Christian schisms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Waldenesian. Let's go for that one. because I like oh, that one. <laughs> the Waldensians. Yes, or however you pronounce it. Yes. Those proto-Protestants. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Basically, go on Wikipedia, look for a niche religious schism, ideally within Buddhism, because that's the easiest one to paint onto the Immaculate thing, and then just do that. <laughs> yes. And also, it depends on quite what sort of a spin you're going on with your games as to whether you want it to be Namon enforcing the orthodoxy or whether you want it to be a particularly free-minded Namon that is going to be the one pushing the boundaries because you can do both because Nimon has holdings everywhere they can have an awful lot of exposure to threshold cultures and will get contaminated or be influenced for want of a better term by the cultures they come across more than other houses broadly i'd kind of say if you want it to stick make it a Nimon that's pushing for it because that's a nice byline for your players that the realm as a whole will be amenable to this but the thing if you want just more history to crypt for it Look at everything and anything along the Silk Road. The Mongols did a good job at making sure that all the religions mixed in weird ways and created odd little things. Yes, but it's a question of quite how you make it interesting, because the Hundred Gods heresy is reasonably standard. The idea of just praying to a god outside of the accepted Immaculate Calendar is pretty standard. If you're going to be wanting to do some Nemon-related heresy, I'd make it a bit more of a twist than that. Well, we already have Melaism as a problem the realm doesn't like. Expand this out. There's four other dragons. <laughs> yes, you've got Pasiap as Nimon's kind of patron dragon. 
So yeah. you've got Passiapism as a particular place, but looking at the way that the Immaculate Dragons are presented or the Elemental Dragons, looking at how their place can be manipulated, because if you go back to the lore episode, Nomon Rulinsegova, who is pretty much an Immaculate Dragon heretic, who believes that the Immaculate Dragons will return as Bodhisattvas someday. And this is a family secret that's being hushed up and just don't talk about it. So those sorts of spins on the nature of the dragons mm. and so on, as well as just worshipping gods in general, can make some interesting yes. things. Um, if you have players that are into the exalted setting in quite a bit of detail, you will need to have a look at why it's a heresy, kind of tease out the reasons. I would also go with some history and politics mixing in with that as well because mm. if you look at how christian heresy pronunciations worked there was quite often a political element to that as well it wasn't necessarily that they were that doctrinally different but it was just something that particular rulers or the popes themselves wanted to push through for political reasons so that's another way of framing the political game if you like if you want to give it a flavor of how Namon can stretch things one way or another we have to be careful about this, though, because we're supposed to get an episode out on the immaculate, on, immac on immaculacy or immaculatism at some point, <laughs> and we're, we're dangerously veering into just doing that now. Yes, that's true. We are, which is why I'm going to put it down <laughs> so, <laughs> and move um, swiftly on to our next topic, which is... Wizards! <laughs> yes, wizards. Sorcery. <laughs> right, this is the interesting one, and I actually quite like this. It's one of the few things I like about Nemon. Get that on record, kids. I don't say this often. I will hold you to that. Because you get an interesting little triangle when you compare the way that sorcery is used in houses Nemon, Ladal, and Ragara. And Nemon, I think, pretty much epitomizes Exalted Broadly, there are three approaches you can use sorcery for. Sorcery as magic, sorcery as worship, sorcery as tool. And Nemon, I think, is peak sorcery as tool. Yes. It's always something that is there to serve a particular goal. So it's almost something you could just do for additional flavour if you wanted to make a character a bit more central and a bit more in-depth. Give them a way to achieve their goals via sorcery and it adds additional wrinkles, no matter what the goal is, and use sorcery as a way to sort of settle the tool. I mean, in some characters, it won't particularly help, but I would struggle to think of too many where it wouldn't add a surprising wrinkle. Yeah, and it's the key bit of like, the conflict between Nemon and Ragara is easy for anyone who knows, and for those of you that don't, uh, Ragara are basically just a house founded founded and led by Lorgar Aurelian from, from Warhammer. And there's <laughs> your Warhammer reference for the bingo cards. Yes. But Ladal versus Nemon's the interesting little one. And given we've already covered Ladal, I can go into this deeper without having to explain terms. Because Nemon is a house that's more likely to... If you give a Nemon and Ladal two options of solving a problem, one that is using magic and one that isn't, the Nemon will take whichever is the better or more effective method. The Ladal will almost always use the magic because they're kind of bound up in the mystery of it all. Yes. Yeah, it's all it's all a case, a case of kind of getting it done. And generally speaking, with Naman, sorcery will be based on efficiency and so on as well. And they'll have the resources to do it because there are lots of sorcerers in House Naman. They're called out as a house that is particularly accepted of sorcery. And so it's got the infrastructure in a way that several other houses haven't. I mean, Ladal is your obvious exception to that, but Namon is another one that kind of has a big sort of sorcerous arsenal and quite a few of its places and 
prefectures and stuff are highlighted as places that sorcerers will go and gather and just do research, basically. So if you want sorcerer societies and your equivalent of traditions in mage or something, then you can build that entirely in Nemon power structures. But without the likelihood of both Ladal and Ragara, which will fall prey to something that exalted sorcerers can very quickly do, and one of the main reasons that a party of all sorcerers in exalted always goes insane, even if they're specced very differently, Nemons are much less likely to go into planar. Yes. Nemon doesn't have much of a reason, other than uh, Rilinse, who went to hell to study the architecture. Most Nemons don't have a reason to hop to the underworld or hop to hell for a bit, whereas Ladals will do it because it needs to be discovered, and Ragara will do it because they're more comfortable there. <laughs> or because there are more interesting toys that can be used. And fairness, Ragara's use of sorcery is instrumental as well. It's just more intrinsically violent than Nimon's right. uses. Okay, Nimon is using it instrumentally and coldly, I guess would be the word. They're not attached. Ragara is very attached at a personal level with the powers that they're using. <laughs> yes, that's very, very true. Whereas, yeah, Nimon you'll have, again with the cosmopolitanism, sort of every variety of sorcerer under the sun can potentially be a Nimon, I feel, that you can get pretty much everything out of them that you need. They're not really specialised. And yeah, this is a recurring theme already. They're generalists. <laughs> which Yeah. You want an Ammon battle mage? Doable. You want an Ammon mage who just sits in his house building funny toys? Can do it. Ammon likes them all. Yeah. And isn't going to stigmatise them either. I think that's sort of the big thing. If you've got PCs who are sorcerers from other houses and they're interacting with Nemons, play up the difference between how Nemon NPCs treat them and how other great houses treat them. And so that you can really hit home of the, this is nothing unusual to them. I'd almost go, again, just because I like my triangle, I'd almost go, you have the Nemon sorcerers be well-adjusted. Like... The Sorcerers are always supposed to be a bit weird because you're seeing reality in a completely different way. That, that's not a bit weird. That's very weird, but anyway. Yeah. I don't know. The way the book phrases it is that all sorcerers are kind of a bit weird. <laughs> There's a lovely example in a second edition book, but it's one of those beautiful things of a normal person sees, a, sees it raining outside their window and thinks, oh, it's raining outside my window. Whereas a sorcerer may look there and see the entire like pattern of essence of reality itself happening in the splashes of single raindrops and we'll just get fixated on it because they know how it works. They phrase it much more poetically than that, but yeah. Go read second edition sorcery books. But the thing with Nemons, because they're accepted but not lauded, because again, Ladal and Ragara would both lord their sorcerers, and so they also won't be normal even if they are accepted, quote-unquote. A Nemon sorcerer will come across as like just a normal person and then he pulls out the pointy hat. <laughs> yeah, at some point you'll have... You'll need to have some something point out that a Nemon sorcerer is a sorcerer, whereas you won't for other ones. I'm almost tempted. I, I kind of like the idea now of doing a Nemon sorcerer that is just the most boring guy and <laughs> looks like he's just there as some sort of administrator or something at the building site. And then when the party just sort of finished talking to him, walk off and he just waves his hand in the entire building and goes, chunk, chunk, chunk. It's like, oh, that's why he's here. Yeah. Although it wouldn't necessarily be that. I don't think you've got that much in the way of telekinesis. It will be Waze's hand and Demon appears to start building. Yeah, or, you know, the chunk, chunk, chunk could also be columns of rock erupt from the earth to become building. That's mm. true. Because the terrestrial circle sorcery, despite it being the lowest one, 
is still nothing to snort at. It can be very scary when you actually read what it can do. It's yes. just that terrestrial level sorcery isn't that good at going into planar. But for most yeah. stuff you're going to use sorcery for, you don't need to. <laughs> One of the other reasons that Nimon aren't that interested in going into planar is because they have so many investments everywhere. And that's another kind of big theme with them. That, that, or I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but Nimon kind of feels like the closest thing to a single great house that is the realm. They have sorcery, they have immaculates, they, as a third at least, have a reasonably substantial military. They have pretty much every single thing that makes the realm the realm in some way, shape, or form. Second says they're chock full of martial artists as well, which is the bit we haven't sort of mentioned, but everyone has Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, it, it, kind of the Immaculates kind of covers that angle to a degree um, because yeah. you have a lot of Immaculate monks. You'll have people learning That's the Immaculate true. Dragon styles, etc. I read in Nemon because they stipulate so many martial artists. I read in that that aren't monks as well. Yeah, I suppose. Which is the nice little flip side because other dragons in other houses... You find them and pick a fight with them, they might punch you. With Nermons, there's a statistical likelihood, especially with the second where it says they have the most martial artists of any house, uh, there's a statistical likelihood they're going to punch you and you're going to catch fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're going to kind of have a general dragon-blooded antagonist that is going to bring the machinery of the realm into you and everything that that represents, then Nermon is a good poster child it's difficult to kind of say this without things coming off as being a bit vanilla but if you want the whole realm experience in every way possible and just want the involvement of one house or just have one satrapy controlling somewhere namon is the thing yeah. to do it with just because there's so many things that it does yeah and because all good things come in threes if you if you're thinking oh that's a bit too simple a namon a kathak and a sinus covers all of your realm bases because Nemon has an army, but Kathak is an army. And so those two working together can always be cute. And Sinus has the slavery angle, which Nemon seems a bit too devout to be heavy on. The books don't really mention either way where she stands on it, but I can't imagine that she's very pro. Oh, for the woman herself, I don't think that mm. she really cares either way. Oh yeah, no, she doesn't because it's lesser than her, but... Yeah, exactly. She dislikes the peasants and so she won't think about slavery. They're just kind of there as decoration but the house as a whole will probably use them but not go out of their way to be that bothered about it and nemon satrapies none of them are in the sorts of places that the realm does a lot of its trading i none of them are up or down the big rivers <laughs> other than jara but jara's off of it yeah there's not so much of an emphasis on the ideas of producing an awful lot of things that require slaves to do and more about raiding the scavenger lands and making the most of it that way. Although Giara does have its own sort of little trade centres and that sort of thing. Yeah. Sinus has fun with slavery, whereas Nermon kind of doesn't. <laughs> True. <laughs> but yeah, the other big one, as you may have got from my incensed rants against Nemon, the most horrible woman in all of Exalted, and that's impressive given that Raxi exists. An interesting thing you can do with Nemon and is a big theme of the house whether your players are Nemons or not, is that other than her immediate inner circle and their immediate inner circles, it doesn't seem to come across from any of the books that House Nemon likes Nemon. 
You'll have noticed this from the NPCs we gave you. We weren't cherry picking much. It's just most of the ones in the books have a beef with Nemon. Yes. And so you can play a lot with the themes of sort of hierarchy and how much can you get away with pushing the boundaries of what your superiors allow you to do. That, I almost say, would work particularly well on either one that's set in Giara as it stands currently, because that's supposedly where Nemon is at the moment, or in the Isle. If you're in a satrapy somewhere, then you've got relatively large latitude anyway, and so that's not that meaningful. But if you want the personal control of Nemon to mean something, then you need it to be somewhere close to where either she can directly influence things or you've got enough people that are loyal to her to enforce what the house wants and making it clear that that's not something that would be something that the players would want. This is a case of, as a storyteller, you would have to set up some conflicting objectives in how you mm. build the game. Make sure that if the players want to take control over somewhere, make sure that there's a potentially better candidate who's better connected politically or just plain more competent at the job that the house wants in there instead. If the players want something to be done that isn't in the house's economic interests, make sure that someone who's counting all the pennies knows about it and action can be taken. Make sure that there's friction yeah. between what's... Yeah any Namon PC wants and what the Great House wants, if you want to kind of draw out that theme, as well as potentially interrupting things that the player characters want. If they're in the middle of something, interrupt them, make sure that they have a thoroughly important message that cannot be ignored for something that needs to be done to take them away from all that. Make the house get in the way. It can even come as far back to us of orthodoxy if this is heresy bit. It can even come down to the not even what you're doing, but how you're doing it bit. Yeah. The thing that's just popped into my head here is that third edition, with what brief resources we have on liminals, has that the realm and the immaculates don't really know whether they're anathema or not, so they do it case by case. It can literally just be a case of you're off on a wild hunt, you're finding something, you found a liminal. That'd be really helpful. And the house would be like, no, we don't like it. But but he can he can help us deal with it. No. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, and then it kind of comes down again to characters because with the liminals, it will be the case by case. So it's down to the politics and who likes them, who doesn't and why and kind of building up a case of the people, which is, for better or worse, one of the big things about Namon. The house is there and the kind of themes of building and stuff. But the main thing about House Namon is that the people and how they interact is the core of it, I think. It's a very personal house. There's... Not that many great houses that actually lean into that, because we've been we've been talking down Nemon as being too vague in general, but that personal touch is something that I can only really think of two other houses that do, and none of them do them like Nemon. Because Venif yeah. definitely does it, but that's just because House Venif is so small that everyone knows everyone. <laughs> yes. It's kind of, they'll take what they can get. <laughs> and Ragara kind of does it, but Nemon is an overbearing grandma that everyone ultimately thinks is like, okay, yeah, fine. Whereas old man Ragara is an evil shadow puppeteer mixed with Chancellor Palpatine. Hmm. Yeah, you've not got the same sort of family dynamic that you have with yeah. Nemon because Nemon, the house, will have very definite ways of doing things and they will also support you to the hilt. Whereas Venif does not know what it is, and Ragara has its own goals kind of entirely distinct from whatever you may want at any given moment. And as much as I've just said, play the 
players' objectives uh, against the houses. Namon will close ranks against anyone who is not a Namon the instant everything yeah. is threatened in a way that most other houses won't. That is, in fact, like, again, I'm going to say something nice about House Namon. It's, it's worrying. I must have caught something. But that's one of the genuinely feasible better terms, sort of sweet scenes you can do if you're running a game with mostly Namon PCs, especially if it's a Realm Civil War flavoured thing. Because <laughs> if you've got Namon PCs, I don't know why you'd want your players would all decide, ooh, we're doing Realm Civil War, let's all be Namon. But fine. They wanted easy mode. <laughs> that's basically, yes. Yeah, the moment any other house tries to cause trouble on you, you can do the Fallen Kingdom Hearts, my friends are my power bit, with like all the Nemons crawling out of the woodwork. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's one you didn't think you'd have on your bingo cards, kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually one thing. If you're running either a substantial and influential portion of your player characters as Nemons or not, the big question there is how much to involve Namon herself because mm. she takes a very, very personal interest in everything that the house does to a superhuman degree, it feels like, from what the way it's described. So she possibly can be involved with the intimate goings-on of whatever the party is doing, regardless of what else is going on in the house at that point in time. So she can add another layer of interest to what you're doing. For example, she will have a personal chat with anyone who is enrolling in the Immaculate Order, both about their personal goals for why they're signing up to the Immaculate Order, what their faith's like and all that sort of stuff, and how you can use this to best serve the house. If you're doing a secondary school game as well, which is one of our little pet projects that we like, third edition doesn't confirm it, but second edition does bring up that she attends to every Nemon dragon blood that exalts within a week of their exaltation. So you can also do it as the preempt to your secondary school game. Yeah, well, I'd say you can do it as a prelude for any immaculate Nemon. It's even if you're not immaculate is the thing you can do it with the secondary school ones, because if she goes to everyone within a week, then you can have the whole cute little thing of, let's be honest, the Nemon in the secondary school game is the preppy one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your name on. I'm seeing the whole bit, the outfit, the hair, the whole part. Just sort of there and be like, yes, Grandma. Yes, Grandma. <laughs> and you've got to make sure that... no, Yes, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She doesn't have to be antagonistic, is the thing. No. Nemon doesn't have to be antagonistic, but the one thing that she does have to be, even if you love her, is a bit overbearing. <laughs> yes. There's, there has got to be the sense of the control freak in that and the way that i would personally use it for any immaculates is have that character's prelude go through the chat with them on it's also particularly good if you've not got a game that's going to last particularly long so you want to get as much of the character and their motivations focused in on what's happening on the games as possible so you can use them on as a big red flashing signpost to say that we see that this is going to be a particular problem for the house can you do this see a way to doing that yes please go on off you go sort of thing and it's a way of priming the pump for whatever's going on without it feeling too forced i mean it's the mon giving you orders it's going to feel forced to a degree but it's not out of character <laughs> so. yeah even when your game's underway though we've like we've talked about having the conversations so you can actually get to personally interact with the lady namon this isn't anything they call everything it's just that's with both Vanif and Nemon, I've had a habit in my games. Now I'm having to do that when I'm referring to the person as compared to the house. She's not as mysterious as some other house heads, <coughs> Ragara, but people still don't fully get 
what she's doing all the time. So you can occasionally just have her meddle in whatever it is you're up to. Because we talked about having her be a full-on denial and the house be a pain for you, but it can literally be the point of if you're out on a wild hunt and you're looking for your exile in Nexus, asking around there, and you get a messenger from the realm, imagine him running up to you like the postman from Zelda Twilight Princess, gives you a big old letter from home, and he's like, you need to go to Nakara now. M. And it's just like, okay, yep, I'm going to Nakara. And if you want to be good... She's a very good sorceress and she's very clever. Have that actually be useful. Like, yes. it's not necessarily what you were doing, but important in some other way. Basically, she's the way that you can bail out of a plot you think isn't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can kind of just do the full bait and switch of, okay, now you need to do this thing if the thing you're doing isn't going anywhere. Yeah, that's very nice. And it's just Nem on micromanaging you as she does everyone. Yeah, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be something that makes sense to the characters at all. It's no. just this will benefit the house and you are the closest people that are most able to do it. And yeah. so it can be something completely unrelated to the overall goals of the story or even, well, the characters, because I'm kind of, I, that first statement kind of half assumes that the whole party is going to be doing something of benefit to House Nimon, but not necessarily. Yeah. The flip side, however as i finally gotten over my disease and gotten back to hating Nemon, is that you don't need a villain in a Nemon game. <laughs> You've got Nemon. <laughs> she is just as much a pain as anything else, especially if your party are younger. Not necessarily secondary school. I actually say you want to be out of that so you can actually have influence. But there is mileage within House Nemon for basically the reform game. We had mention of Nemon Karas, who is literally a hair's breadth away from striking up revolt against his grandmother because what she's doing isn't tenable and is going to ruin the house because she's an egomaniac. And second, third doesn't confirm, but second does say that uh, Nemon scions that happen to openly and loudly disobey her happen to have unfortunate accidents. There is mileage for an internal shake-up of power within Nemon to be your plot. Not even a Realm Civil War thing, although it'd be weird if this got too big and didn't affect that. But there is mileage for a Nemon game that is basically just chafing against Nemon and trying to change it. Yeah, although it's going to be very, very much about who you can get on side and yeah. getting enough people in place to challenge the big lady. But my concern about using Nemon as the ultimate villain is that she can't really be removed. I mean, she has stats. But she's presented as relatively bulletproof. So it's going to have to be one heck of a plot. If you're going to do things to bring her down or damage her political standing, you've got to be talking some very, very high stakes and high level stuff. It's not going to be simple and it's not going to be it, safe. No, it won't be easy and it won't be safe. But that's what I'm sort of saying. There's mileage for this being the game rather than it being a side plot in a game. Mm. Because it could be your high-stakes political thing. And equally, relatively bulletproof isn't absolute. The party could. There's, there's at least four people inside the realm that aren't even anathema to talk to that the party can go to that can help quite a lot. Mm. Uh, one of them is called Venif, because as far as I can tell, Nemon herself has a massive reason to hate House Venif. House Nemon really doesn't. No. Like... She looks like her mother. She's a good immaculate. And she, like, she's... Here's, here's some heresy, and it's something that Nemon Karras would say. 
she's living up to the Empress more than Nemon was because she's the one taking in all the lost eggs. <laughs> and it's that sort of thing. You can either talk to Vanif and start siding with her, which is just a way to make Nemon angry, which is always a good goal in and of itself. If you want things to be desperate, you can go up to the mountain to the spa town and talk to an old man. And for those of us, those of you anywhere, uh, old man Ragara isn't in charge of the house anymore. He retired and now lives in a spa town. And I basically imagine him permanently in an onsen. <laughs> <laughs> But you can do that. You can talk to any of the major houses. Like Cessus would have a field day with even one Nemon that has a beef with Grandma. There's lots of people you can go to. Even if you start talking to the Immaculates, the Voice of Peace won't necessarily turn against you to turn against the old lady, but to give support to the idea that maybe we should like actually help propagate Immaculate Faith more than personal politics. That they could probably support you on with some good rolls and some good role playing. Yeah, it's going to be going against some fairly long standing immaculate policy. So you're going to get people within the order coming after you. Oh, yeah. The flip side is you'll probably get some covert support from the other people inside the order when they realise, oh, you're sabotaging Nemon. <laughs> Thanks, you're doing our job for us. <laughs> yes, House of Celsi will be your go to allies in this situation. I almost say don't let the players even know that they're there, just because I'm thinking House of Celsi just helping you out and thinking, oh, that's a nice monk that's helped us with this. Yes, that's all he is. <laughs> yeah, or not even being sure that it's a monk that helped. It's just that someone mm. somewhere made something happen that made your lives easier. House of Celsi would help, but they wouldn't break cover. <laughs> no, that's absolutely it. Because the instant they do, they're screwed. But. But yeah, there's mileage for that as a game in and of itself. It's risky, but we talk about the Realm Civil War every episode, and that's not exactly safe either. No. <laughs> but yeah, past that, we now get into Nemon NPCs, how to design them and how to have fun with them. The broad rule with Nemon NPCs is none of them are Nemon. Yes, and make sure that they have some sort of personality, though, it's just as the broad strokes, because as much as we talked about Nemon as the Immaculate House, the house with sorcery and all the rest of it, it's difficult to tease out an absolute theme for House Nemon. So you need to make sure that Nemon NPCs have something else of their own to latch on to. So make sure that your NPCs are memorable, that they have other things to be doing other than being a Nemon, because being a Nemon is very vanilla. Yeah. You don't even have to go massive with this. You can literally just, you can give them a job. You can give them a hobby, something that makes them a little bit unique. Like Your players might not remember, oh, it's that Namon that was kind of sticking to the rules and getting in people's way when they violated them, even for the greater good. But they will remember, oh, it's that Namon trade minister that kept taxing our spice movement because we weren't paying the Sextus Gilus tariff. And it's stuff like that. It's, you can make them interesting without having to write a novel for them <laughs> yes just make sure that they are always more than the house because the house is never quite enough in our opinion <laughs> the, the corollary for this is though and we haven't really said it for the other ones because we want to encourage you all to be really creative and do all the crazy things but most other houses the house actually is enough <laughs> like yeah a sinus when you say there was a sinus that gives you the better part of a character already. Or at least it gives you a set of motivations and their general methodology. Whereas yeah, Nemon, it, it gives you neither. Yeah, it's, again, 
Weirdly, similarities to Kathak in that the house doesn't do much of the lifting and you have to yeah. do it on the character front. Yeah, I mean, about the most that you can kind of come across for Nemons is that they will generally be authority figures somewhere. Yeah. And they'll generally be getting in your way and doing that sort of thing. So the stereotype for Pnemon NPCs in my head is the stifling bureaucrat or the stifling immaculate, the one who is by the book and won't deviate. So that will generally be their role. Here's another random idea for it. Okay. Exalted in the thick of it. or exalted yes minister depending on what specific tone you want from it but the concept is the same yeah it'd be a light little few sessions thing inside one of the ministries <laughs> yeah no the mon would be perfect for those sorts of characters those big kind of obnoxious i must succeed because of my own personal development i mean screw the department screw everything else I'm going to succeed because this is what I want, and what I want is actually what the house wants. I was about to say the man in grey linen, but that's a Nellens. Mm. <laughs> so the man in white and purple linens stops you. <laughs> yes. Just to say, no, you must file this form with this priest before you can enter my chambers. <laughs> <laughs> or they actually are Sir Humphrey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Humphrey from Yes Minister is a Namon because you've got all that kind of political control and clout and strings to pull, but they're proper official orderly strings. And it's not quite a House Kathak diplomat where you, it's obvious and you'll see the Bayamoth rolling towards you. But it's the case of the official channels. They do nothing because you've been blocked off at every stop by Namon because they have so many political connections. I'd almost say that rather than a military game as such, I would make it a satrapial politics game or even something involving the deliberative, just because mm. I see Namon as political in the sense of politics rather than policy. They're not so okay, concerned yeah. with management unless it suits the house but they are very concerned about who gets to pull the levers. Yeah, to be fair, to the Lady Nemon, most people in the ministries count as the little people and thus not important. <laughs> yes, there is that. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, as we've hinted at thus far, if you want a quick and dirty sideline for Nemon, it's a monk or it's a wizard. Or maybe it's a builder, but Bob the Nemon doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> no. And making the construction into a part of a game is something where you can bring in the mon NPCs as part of the process, particularly if you're dealing with manse building and manse building on the aisle. If you want the best options, you will bring in a Nemon architect for that and you will have yeah. them involved with the project. And so you can make them into an element of that, either as someone who is going to get in the way of your manse because it's something that they don't want done and so you can kind of have them as someone who you have to be involved but is kind of an antagonist or you can have them as someone you have to win over and kind of get on your side as to reasons as to why they will support you and you can do a lot with that though i do have to say as we did mention this when we were looking over our notes before recording here there is a way to subvert them in this, and this again makes for a little interesting plot point if the party wants a manse, but for whatever reason cannot or does not want to get Nemon involved. There are a few ways to subvert that, and all of them are risky, 
One of them is insanely risky, but they are ways of doing it that could provide for interesting story hooks. Number one is, obviously, as we mentioned in our last episode, building a fresh one is a bit out of their area of expertise, but you wouldn't go wrong looking for Ladals. With enough time and books, a Ladal could probably fill in the gaps in their knowledge, and they have the geomancy and the raw magic to do half of a man's building. Yeah, well, I think geomancy in general is something that you can get hold of with a decent education. I imagine there's part of the Spiral Academy that teaches um, particular geomancy. I've I've run with a Pelops geomancer before because I was feeling exotic. <laughs> so yeah, it's more the fact that like Ladal, as we mentioned there, they were really big on repairing manses, and the difference between repair and construction is only a problem when it falls apart. The other one, the insanely risky option. There's one person you can talk to, or one house you can talk to, uh, that has not only the arcane knowledge to help you, but also the finances to get it done on the cheap. (laughs) (laughs) House Ragara could assist. House Ragara could assist. They would keep it very quiet. And they would keep it hung over you like a knife. Yeah. (laughs) Your fireplace that you get your toes warm at night may be green. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. But they do it, and they do it cheap, and they do it quiet. <laughs> because your money isn't the payment they're worried about. <laughs> yes, it's what they get out of the manse itself. <laughs> and or having you now on the hook. Yes. Just getting back to Namon, and just the other side of that, we get Namon as potential wild hunt leaders. Namon herself yeah. has led several wild hunts. I'm not necessarily saying involve the head of the house, but it's a possibility but you will have enough devout immaculates within the house to support someone leading a hunt. You don't even necessarily need a motive for this because while other houses will tend to be immaculate with strings attached and kind of reasons for their piety, Namon, not so much. Namon is Mm. more likely to be devout for devotion's sake, which is a nice change, frankly. (laughs) You can also, especially since they are so immaculate, with the wild hunts, you can kind of push them into the hopeless cases out of the sake of zealotry. Yes. Like, if there's one house that's going to have the nutter in it that's going to try and lead a wild hunt against the Bull of the North, it'll be Namon. Because <laughs> if any other house starts that hunt, it's because they have an actual way of taking him down. <laughs> yeah, or a personal stake. That's one other thing about Namon NPCs oh, in yeah. general. You don't need personal stakes to involve them just the house's motivations are enough yeah generally speaking yeah i forgot house tepet existed for a second because a tepet deciding today is a good day to die is the other reason a wild hunt gets started against the bull <laughs> yes because that you have an immensely personal reason there but yeah you won't get much support for something like that because supporting tepets against the bull of the north didn't go too well last time at least not publicly no. but and them on doing it yeah you could, oh, exalted saving Private Ryan, first wild hunt that gets sent up there and then goes missing. There you go. Yep, <laughs> that could work very nicely. Although I'd imagine a good chunk of that would be getting the coalition of the willing together to do it. Yeah, you just make the person who was leading it actually important to someone, maybe multiple people. Maybe the Nam on top brass actually quite like them because of blood and they were promised to wed someone else who was important uh, to another house because your mission isn't go and kill the bull it's saving private right your mission is go and find the guy that ran off on one and Mm. so you're trying to trace in the footsteps of a wild hunt 
before he gets himself splattered against a wall by the bull. <laughs> yes. And just stop this madness before you kill everyone involved and we suffer even more of a loss. Yeah, that works. Um, and then past that, we get to the actual places again. Yes. I like Nemondagilus. It's a fun city. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of spies and manses. Yes, there's magical and shadowy shenanigans that can go on. So. And it's got the Las Vegas pyramid at the middle of it. That's actually, I didn't notice that before, but that's the same layout for Halcyon Prefecture as well. The kind of the central thing with everything built out from a grid. Everything is very, very orderly and by the book in Namon's Prefectures. Well, that's A, geomantically significant, um, and B is probably, again, them going for um, sort of sympathy and send-ups to Nemon being more so than... Not most, but more so than a lot of realm houses, a send-up to Imperial China. Yes. Who loved planned cities. Yes. Well, not planned, but square cities. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts that you can do here. I mean, you can bring in the sorcerers for the Azure Morning Pinnacle. It's a place for Namon sorcerers to gather and collaborate. So if you want to have a sinister sorcery cabal somewhere doing something, then the Azure Morning Pinnacle is a place for them to be and for them to be sourced from and a place for them to go. I imagine that particularly if you're running a party that is not particularly heavy on them on PCs, it almost functions like the Forbidden City for the Triads. It's a place for the Mon sorcerers to go and muck around and then run back to and that no one can touch them because jurisdiction runs out. Yeah. And equally, another thing you can do with Dodgeless then, I mentioned it in the story episode slightly, that... Uh this city is probably full of spies. Would your players like to be spies? <laughs> <laughs> Again, mm. Realm Civil War setup, but most Realm internal games ultimately are. It's one of the few ones for a Realm Civil War game where you can actually really justify quite a broad range of houses because everyone hates Nemon. <laughs> yes, that's one of the things that gets brought in with the Jarlis, that there's so much going on to try and undermine Nemon. It's the big, obvious crown jewel for the obvious successor. So if you can take down something in Dargelus, then you will do an awful lot of damage to Nemon. So emphasising the stakes and that sort of thing works quite nicely. One of the ways that you can potentially do that is you go for the various guild structures. You've got mm. quite a few guilds in Dargelus that are connected to the construction industry and quite a few of those contracts are drying up. So if you want to get a cross between the political and the administrative, then you start having plots surrounding particular contracts that shouldn't be fulfilled or somehow mysteriously aren't, and therefore Namon does not get the funds it needs to fund a particular military expedition and those sorts of things. It sounds quite dry talking through the results, but it absolutely shouldn't be because this will be, again, getting down to the personal side of things. You've got quite a few patricians in the city and they will be chafing against things like Namon's disdain for people who are underlings and that sort of thing, feeling like they're second-class citizens. You can play up those sorts of aspects as motivations for going against things to kind of wheedle against in oh, that sort of sense. I'm about to say something terrible that makes me want to clean up my mouth. That's a good game to use a Nellens as a PC in. 
Yes, yes, it is. Because you can then do the sort of the switch of come over to the Nellons side and kind of building up House Nellons's influence over and above House Nemon. Nellons quietly steals the city out from under her. Yeah, that could be interesting, but the house as a whole wouldn't be able to do the whole thing because they've not got the architectural know-how to replace the academies. So you would need to replace them kind of at the supplier level, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's that that's the thing. Like you if you want to punch Nemon, you punch her in her weakness. And Nemon's weakness is not so much the things that you would think she's weak in, it's the things that she doesn't care about. And so you get her with the mortals because she doesn't value them. You get her by talking to the other houses because she thinks they're less than her. Like you'll never beat her on a level playing field because it's Nemon, and she's written uh, in the same way as children playing imaginary fight. She has an everything-proof shield and an everything-proof shield-cutting sword. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And another thing that you can potentially do with Dargelus, if you want to kind of undermine the foundations of the city, in potentially quite a literal sense, it was restored from First Age ruins, and so you have your kind of catacombs type play of something is happening underneath and potentially even the the azure morning pinnacle has woken something up and you're desperate to speak or else please speak before you explode we can tie these in with the last thing we just talked about with stealing the the construction guilds mess with the geomancy like you just buy them out so a little thing doesn't get restored that the nemons like well you needed to do this and you just build up enough little cracks in the geomancy until you get the one little sorcerer who wanders into a room and goes, okay, I'm going to do a magic... <laughs> and the whole thing goes crazy. Yes. For that, you will need to have a few geomantically and sorcerously inclined NPCs with a chip on their shoulder to set that up. But that's perfectly doable. Or, with players as spies, yeah. you can instigate it. <laughs> Sabotage. Yeah, if you have an Acelsior Assessor's game, but that's relying on specific PCs, which maybe not. Basically, you need someone who can um, who can make sure that construction is adjusted without people necessarily noticing, and you've got someone who can muck around with the ley lines enough at a magical level that it will do something. And when the Pinnacle has a particularly big project going off, contact within the Pinnacle to know what's going on and what would be the best trigger. And basically, have those kind of agents in place. And I think this is a reasonable rule of thumb for games generally, but if you want particular types of actors in order for your story to work, if you have them as PCs, feed those PCs enough to make it go off. If you don't, make sure that there's an NPC that fills those roles that the players can get attached to. This is also the setup, now that I think about it for a second longer. And I think it ties more because it can't work in any other place, even though it's not an Emon game once again. But this is, a get, this is a pot for the funniest and perhaps coolest, if you can get it to work, a Celsi game ever. Nemon must die. <laughs> get her pyramid to fall down on her by geomantic sabotage. <laughs> yes. And that's kind of one of the biggest Civil War triggers of the lot. <laughs> Nemon dies and... Well, frankly, I was going to say, Nemon dies and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> yeah. But past that, the moment Nemon's out of the picture, the balance of power does shift so much that I think everyone will just draw guns and everyone will blame everyone else. <laughs> yeah. And with Dargelis, 
kind of gone kasplat, then the house as a whole will be a far lesser player. Depending on how much yeah. you can kind of suck into the implosion as well, then a good portion of their supporters and so on can go with. Nemon Relinse is the prefect in Nemon Dargelis, and she's awesome and potentially your final boss in any espionage game because fighting Nemon herself is suicide, but the crazy old woman with the black jade hand and the star metal eye who goes to hell and the underworld to study architecture, now that's an interesting one you can probably fight. Yeah, I kind of see her as a sort of rugged, world-weary and just up for absolutely no nonsense. Yeah, whereas, especially with Went to Hell to Study the Architecture, I kind of see her as the, uh, for the World of Darkness players, the lucid Malkavian archetype, mm. where she's utterly balmy, but not in the ooh-ha-ha -ha chocolate frogs way, just in the, yeah, she just does things kind of way. And with a star metal eye, she's also seeing the future. Yes. Which means she may talk like a Malk as well. Yeah. Because with that, if you have her as sort of a primary antagonist, you can do an awful lot of out-of-the-blue things to kind of throw players simply because... She's preempting you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't make it so that... I mean, you've got to tread a very delicate balance there that it doesn't yeah. feel like you are shutting the players down. Make it relatively obvious that there is a way around any new obstacles or mm. that there is potentially somewhere down the road a reason for the thing that just comes out of the blue. But Rulense's ability to see stuff and kind of be utterly... Well, I, I almost see her as ruthless, but that just might be my stereotype for when I hear someone old with missing limbs. But I think that's my own kind of war veteran bias when I think of that particular image. But you can kind of use her as that kind of immovable wall who kind of shifts the goalposts as you go up against her sort of thing. You can even bootstrap it to have the only reason the party gets onto her be that she tries to preempt them before they even really appreciate she was there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Because I like the idea, mostly because I think if you put a star metal eye in anyone, they'd go a bit crazy. Uh, so I kind of like the idea that she's, especially after a trip to hell in the underworld and a star metal eye, I think she's not all there. <laughs> yeah. Although still competent, that's the thing. Yes, ruthlessly competent, that's why she has the job. Nemon doesn't play family favourites. Ruthlessly competent, but personally weird. Like, it's the thing of, none of her servants really get what she's doing. <laughs> and none of her sort of immediate friends fully understand. I'm sort of seeing in the inner circle meetings with Nemon and the thing, she's the one that will just blurt something out over someone else, and then it'll actually be really insightful or important. Have her be vaguely prophetic in a way that not necessarily is her actively preempting the players, but you can still have it weirdly come back later. And then mm. that's when you remind your players, perhaps even not directly, but just by describing it in the exact same wording she used. Yes. For that sort of thing, you will have to have it planned out. One of the other people that you can kind of base it off is another reference for your bingo card. Idgrod Ravencrone from Skyrim, the Jarl of Morthol. She is a seer to some degree, has kind of visions and dreams of the future. Everyone thinks it's just a little bit odd, doesn't like being around her, but is absolutely prepared to do what she says. Those sorts of characteristics is the way to sort of play her up as a vaguely menacing, possibly useful 
character to have in these sorts of games. She can either be a source of information in that context where she's giving you hints that you don't quite understand yet, but will clunk into place after an event or two happen. And then you come and ask a few more questions and it's like, ah, I knew you'd be back. Now, what about this? Do this for me. Have her kind of as the key quest giver in that sort of sense. Or you have her as someone who knows a little bit more about what you're doing than she should and drop that into dialogue every so often. But for that sort of thing, you need to be involved in fairly high up intrigue to have reasons for her to be interacting with you. That's yeah. not for your street level stuff. I, I also have to sort of, I feel the need to sort of mention that even if you're doing a Nemon game in Nemon Dargelis, she should still come off as creepy. Even if she's on your side, I really don't think you should ever be wholly comfortable with her. Yeah. Like, because I think within the house, she probably will be known more than anything as that woman that went to hell to study the architecture, which, especially within Nemon, that's a bit odd, given that Nemon's normally relatively sensible. <laughs> relatively. Compared to, that's a stunt you'd expect a Ragara to pull. Or a Ladal, but yes, we've already dunked on those two houses enough in this episode. <laughs> we have. We, <laughs> yes, we, have. we have. But it's, it's kind of inevitable because Nemon doesn't have enough identity of their own, so we have to keep bringing in other houses to contrast them with. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, past that, we now get to our um, live recorded improv session. And this time, we're not giving you a game because Nemon doesn't have enough soul. <laughs> Well, no, it's more we fancy the change. <laughs> yeah. We're instead going to give you a building, mostly because we uh, w we tried doing it with characters briefly, and whilst games are the easiest one to do, if we keep doing games all the time, we'll run out of stories before we run out of episodes. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, maybe. Well, we'll have to see. But we thought... Nemon is a building house, and so let's make a building. Let's make things a little different from our usual... And so... Going to make a manse for you. Question being, where do we want this manse set? Are we going to be building on the aisle or somewhere else? I don't think we should put it on the aisle, if only because when you're out in the satrapies, there's a lot more room for weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The realm won't let you get away with half of the things I've got rattling around my head on the aisle, but on the satrapies, they won't care. Okay. In which case... I'm almost tempted to say down south just because the building process will then be the opening of Prince of Egypt. <laughs> yes, we know that's your favourite already. <laughs> we do. Yep. It'll be okay. great. We can do it in the middle of the desert. It'll be perfect. Okay, so somewhere down south. Where are we thinking for this? I want to avoid Harbour Head, if only because you have some other ideas about that. Yeah. And I don't want to bring a lat into what you're scheming, because I know, I know part of what you're setting up. We have had a few moments of conversation about this. We have. Mostly because I got inspired by you referencing a different game podcast person that you may want to just quietly plug here. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. This was listening to the Princes of the Universe podcast back in their, some of their first few episodes when they were kind of making the transition between second and third edition <laughs> and still using all of the terms of Magitech. And so this is going to be a manse that is powered by a demon who is trapped in there somewhere or is powered by some kind of entity that is kind of bound within the architecture of the manse in order to make it particularly wonderful. There will be hearthstones because that's mm. the way manses work, but some additional juice and features will be provided by a trapped entity. I think demon rather than god, simply because Nimon is 
a sorcery house and they wouldn't be in the business of trapping gods because even for punishing wayward gods, that's a bit far. Yeah. Whereas using a demon, especially in the way that we've got going here, because, okay, third leans away from the terminology, you're going to catch me still explaining things like it's Magitek because I like that interpretation a bit more. The way that this is really leans into Nemon's whole magic as utility kind of thing. They won't see the problem with this, because in the Princess of the Universe game, they basically did a whole Matrix mind spike into the back of a god's head there to, like, tap them into the manse sort of thing in what you described as quite a brutal-sounding procedure. Yes. It was basically kind of rendering this god down to an entirely compliant Jarvis of a house servant, almost. But I don't think it would be something quite that advanced at this point, because... This is a dragon-blooded manse. It's not going to be a solar manse. And so we're going to bind a demon in. If we're dealing with that, we can do we can power various functions without necessarily having the hearthstone sucked into it. Yeah. But the, the hearthstone I think should be the main the main gut of yep. this, because I'm seeing basically I'm seeing the demon here being used for one deliberate effect and one accidental effect. Because I'm thinking building it. I didn't even have Harbourhead on my radar. Putting it near a lats would be funny, but the terrain in Harbourhead isn't quite right no. for this. So I'm thinking this needs to be out in the desert. Yes. And properly, I'd almost give it the vibe of sort of a... I don't want to call it a monastery, because monastery mants, I don't know if they're done, but they probably would be. I don't see why yeah. they wouldn't, but it's that sort of thing. The hermitage. Okay. They'd probably even, even call it something like that. Properly out in the middle of nowhere. It might actually be somewhere magically or politically relevant if you can travel it. Just sort of, oh, you know, the south is mostly deserts in between all the cities, so you put it out in the sands far away enough that people won't catch that there's a bunch of Nemons there. <laughs> On the road between the lap and gem, or just off it? Yeah, that sounds about right. And basically, you have your hearthstone, probably one of the more sustenance-based ones, just so that you can keep getting food and water and the like. I was going to say something like a water-aspected one, just to make sure that you have your oasis ready-made. Yeah, it's something like that. Well, I would say we have the demon for here. And uh, for those of you using us to fully learn Exalted completely from scratch, I'm going to have to explain a term here because I already know which sort of demon I'm putting in this box. Okay. I'm putting a Cecilinian demon. Probably, uh, if it's a dragon, they can't really summon the big ones. But if we allow for they did it on calibration, you can get a mid-tier demon out. Mm-hmm. Cecilene is the Yozi. Uh, read Enemy of the God or Ancient uh, because third is terrified of using primordial. Yep. And terrified of using Yosi, who is all about two things. One, the base interpretation. When we do our hell episode, you'll hear my rants about base interpretations and metaphorical interpretations of the Yosis. But her base interpretation is deserts. This is the deliberate interpretation. This is going to be a manse. If we put it near Gem, that's, I'd almost say actually, not on the road between the lap and Gem. I'd actually say between Gem and I have to get the map up because what's that city with the creepy party where people go missing? Lock? Um, I'm just going on the location here, but... There's one in the south that is near Gem that, like, every night has a massive there's party. There's Lock and there's the Jazz south of Gem. Those are your only the two jazz. on the maps. The okay, Jazz. The Jazz. The Jazz, that's the one. So between Gem and the Jazz, probably as an immaculate monitoring thing because Gem has its own suspiciousness going on. The Jazz also has something magic and weird going on that we'll probably get more on in Across the Eight Directions. We'll, we'll talk about that in the jazz episode, but yes. Yeah, this is basically going to be sort of, again, Hermitage, I think, is the name that they would use for this, where some immaculates can go to sit 
meditate away from everyone else, all the other fun things Immaculates want to do, but also keep an eye on these two places because whoever's in charge isn't. Um. (laughs) Yes. I would also say that if you're going along with the stuff from the jazz, it can be a mixture. Let's make this a fairly luxurious complex. And you have your hermitage, you have your monks who are doing their various things to contemplate and be away from the world. You have some practicing hospitality as well. Have this as a place where anyone traveling to the jazz can reasonably stay by and be kept and okay. be kept an eye on. This goes a little bit against what I was thinking of with the power for okay. it. Though you could still accidentally end up here and then still be monitored for right. it, perhaps. Because I was thinking basically, because they don't want the people in charge of Jem who do just hire bandits to go and deal with problems, and they probably don't want whatever my personal interpretation is it's fairy stuff behind what's going on in the mm-hmm. jazz. It could be anything else, but I'm feeling the wild on it. They definitely don't want them seeing it because large numbers of wild things is hard for anyone to deal with. Yep. So I was thinking the reason you use a Cessalinian demon and the reason they're deliberately going for the desert one is to basically have a not perpetual sandstorm all over the thing, but as a barrier around yep. it. So that A, you've got a bit of a barrier for getting in, but mostly people don't see that it's there. Because you're just walking through, it's already going to be off the road and stuff. Oh, there's a sandstorm over there. Better not go there. Okay. And you will occasionally have holy folks just randomly wandering off into horrendously hard to deal with places. You can kind of have the image of someone just striding off and just disappearing and is never heard from again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the bit of you walk through the sandstorm and then on the other side, there's this lovely complex with water, potentially even grass. And it's the whole bit and it's am I in heaven bit <laughs> but it's that sort of thing that's the deliberate into the thing they wanted also there's an accidental effect because I even Nemon who tried to use them as tools and are very careful with what they do most of the time demons are much more likely to put a catch on what you do with them if they can get away with it yes catch with this one is Cecilene's other half Cecilene is all about justice and rules when she was a primordial she was the one that established the idea of law and morality when she became a Yozi and got all mutilated, as is the actual term, or eviscerated, sorry, as is the term used in second edition for the process the gods did to Yozify the primordials, her justice got twisted to sticking to the rules as written, no matter what. I don't care if they're immoral. I don't care if they're wrong. We get the Nemon orthodoxy problem here, ah. where the monks and everyone that stay there get completely scripturally zealous. You. Which, for Nemon is weird because they're cosmopolitan. Yes, and it's also very nice geopolitically as well. Well, I say geopolitically. I'm falling into the second edition trap of thinking that things that are monstrously distant are actually connected. But if you go west of where we're talking and look to Lathe by the Cinder Isles, there is an order of demon-hunting monks down there who have to keep things relatively flexible otherwise they'll have a revolt on their hands they quite purposefully keep tabs on the cults on the demon cults that are there but don't wipe them out and yeah it can it can be the weird thing of i imagine the, the hermits and the monks there do travel a bit for various reasons monitoring they could for some reason or another yeah distance is a problem but you know you can justify it to be cool yep. or as a mystery if you're starting your game in lathe of they come in here and start basically Savona rollering the place where they're like, you are not pure enough, <laughs> and trying to take down the demon hunty people mm-hmm. for being heretics and all of this other stuff, proper torch, pitchforks and screaming. And the best part is this does 
assume your players are either part of or at least sympathetic to the demon huntery side of Lathe, which you should be. They're the nicer people there. You get the weird little thing of, if you have your sorcerer trying to do one over on the monk, they've got some weird mojo about them. <laughs> and it's the thing of the demons basically leaking because they'll have trapped it and they'll have bound it to the place, but you leave that for long enough and it's going to be a case of, yeah, it'll learn its cage and it'll learn what it can do and it'll learn what it can't do. And so it'll have learned how to influence the people inside its domain. Yes. And okay, if we're going with that sort of thing as a problem, there's going to have to be some pretty hefty benefits because the oasis in the desert is something that a hearthstone can pull off. And so what sort of benefits are we proposing on the back of a demon being bound there? I'm feeling the obvious one, the massive sandstorm barrier. That's a big thing. That could be done with a terrestrial working, but that'd still be one that would require a lot of upkeep. Yes. Whereas a demon can pretty much do that off the back. Other fun little Cecilinian things you could do, you can quite easily justify a healing factor inside on it. Old second edition Infernal, Cecilene was one of the two you went to if you wanted healing powers. And we have to lean into second edition for Yozy powers because third hasn't gotten to hell yet. You can also, weirdly, as well as healing, you can justify poisons off of her, but I don't know why they'd care about that. I'm basically going to be giving you her portfolio so that you can think what other benefits you want. Unless you have one particular monk there as an NPC and they're a sinus, that they are... Oh, drugs, yeah. Yeah, drugs, poisons, and they're either a plant for the house or they are someone who is kind of backsliding, so to speak, that you have them travelling to this place because they want to get away from the house politics, but they get drawn back in by what the demon can offer them. Not necessarily a Faustian bargain, but just a side effect and some creeping words. I'd almost say the flip side, weirdly, mostly because any plot with this place isn't going to be all internal. It's no. always going to be the people around it dealing with the creepy sandstorm mounts. Yep. I'd almost say the flip side of... Sinus center plants, and then he went native. Okay. He kind of actually got into the life, not just the whole monastic yeah. thing, but the thing about Cecily and the, the positive half that they do when they're trying to justify you picking her for your infernal is she gives you rules, she gives you structure, and people, even though she's gotten very, very stringent about it, mm -hmm. there is still something to be said for living by a code, and that is what makes you feel good. Yeah. And if you're doing it with the Immaculate Religion as well, it's like, these are the texts. You will have that knowledge deep in your heart of, my faith is pure, my faith is right. Yes. I can also imagine a place like this sort of pumping out magistrates and judges. Um, not not yeah. magistrates necessarily, but judges. I was sort of thinking, well, what's the sort of the pull apart from being a hermitage? They'd be a bit more willing to use the death penalty. That's Celestine's other problem. There is one punishment. Yeah. But the other big thing is sort of monks who sit in judgment and have kind of exorbitant and comprehensive knowledge of the Immaculate Texts, uh, that there's this huge, great seat of theology, or not necessarily theology, whatever the equivalent... Dogma. Yeah, dogma and canon law is what I was mm. going for. So that can be the other thing, which means there will be libraries here, which means you're going to have a relatively... You're going to have microclimates within the place because as much as having lots of water around is good for growing things and that sort of stuff, it's not good for preserving books. So the libraries, and perhaps maybe to emphasize the kind of the harsh nature of Cecilina's someone who imposes rules very rigidly, is that you have the books kept in somewhere that's very dry, very hot, somewhere that will 
help preserve the texts and make the rules themselves feel oppressive. You could even go for that there's mileage for a mystery game here with the mystery being, oh, there's a demon behind all of this. Mostly because, again, the sandstorm barrier, the most obvious benefit that you see at the front, that's something you can do with, with sorcery. And I'd almost imagine the monks, if the demon's clever, it wants to hide itself because, like, any outsider who comes in and sees how the specific kind of weird that the monks are going will smell what's going on here and shut it down fast. But... Equally, I kind of like the idea of you go in there. On the one hand, it's this very, very strict but fair monastic sort of thing. I'm seeing your sort of proper monastery in the middle of nowhere where they beat you with sticks for minor theological things, but you know what the rules are. They don't hide them from you. It's all that thing that the lifestyle that attracts some people. And you go in there and it's just the weird little things. I like my locked house mysteries and this kind of is one. Yes. It's the weird little things are trying to notice what's going on here. There's something about the architecture. It's, oh, they don't like idols, so they don't have statues of the dragons. Why do they have a statue of a scorpion in their fountain? And it's that sort of thing. The things that you can be like, is, is this local culture? Or is this something else? Yes. And that weird little yeah. thing. Yeah, and you can also, if you've got a PC who knows anything about geomancy, one of the other hints with this place is that it's more powerful than it has any right to be because of how the demon is doing things to the place. And equally, think if you've got someone who's good with geomancy, they see the sandstorm barrier and they cross and they're like, oh, this is going to be cool geomancy. The geomancy doesn't connect to it at all. Oh, you're doing that. <laughs> the other flip side for a game here, of course, that doesn't even have to be set here and just can be other people dealing with it because every single part of Exalted's setting gets a bit fun when calibration happens. Yep. You can easily justify, oops, it got loose. <laughs> yeah, which also means that Fun things are going to happen when the barrier comes down and people realise there's a whacking great oasis not far off the jazz. And because you've got... Actually, because if I remember um, this... The, the jazz basically has an underclass, um, from what I can remember, of criminals and that sort of thing. And so you'll have a whole bunch of people heading out for this paradise that they hear exists. So you'll have a whole bunch of lawless refugees turning up at the doorstep and falling under the sway. It's the mileage you can really almost go for, especially if you lean into third doesn't do this as much, second loved it because it wanted to make them more like sort of your classical demons. So in second edition, a lot of demons could shapeshift, whereas in third, they're a bit vaguer about it. You can almost go with the thing of the barrier comes down after calibration and people are just discovering this massive complex that's just got like a very, very small population there. Uh, because when it got out, it wiped out most of the actual monks. <laughs> so it's the full thing of like the small handful of people that are left in this massive complex being full. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And it's the thing of like when you've got this is why I'm saying like mid tier demon instead of the like, baby tier demons. It's powerful enough that it can keep the magic of the hearthstones working. It can keep people provided for, but you are going to be living under its rules. And so it's the weird thing of. You've now gone from the weird monastic thing, and if your party moves about, it can be like the first time they encounter it. Oh yeah, it's the weird monastery that was there. The second time you encounter it, why is it now like a little petty village with super draconian laws? How did this transition happen? And it's that bit. I like the idea of this manse as a point for mystery and potentially boss fight when you finally realise, oh, oh, the demon got loose. <laughs> 
yes, now that can work quite nicely. And then you can rebuild it as what it looks like post-demon, at which point it will have to have relationships with the outside world, which is the thing that it hasn't had to deal with. I mean, it will have had Immaculate's scent there because they know it exists, but that's kind of the big contrast if you're going to build a game around this place, that what's the relation from the people from the Jazz and Gem and Locke, or at least the people surrounding those kind of places that are going to be kind of flooding to it for various reasons. It's the weird thing of like, you'd think with the sort of zealous immaculates there, that relations could only get better when they were taken out. But given how Cecilyn is about laws, given how Gem and the Jazz both are, yeah, I think it'll get worse. Yes. Because it'll be the case of that first wave of people it gets. Cecilyn is the kind of Yosi and any Cecilinian demon is the sort of demon that you slightly pick a pocket and your head comes off. And Gem's boss's bandits, they are going to be sent back in bags. <laughs> yeah, it's going to totally upend any sort of local power balance if you stretch it out to include both of those. I mean, it's a bit of a distance to encumbrance all those, but... You can justify making the desert easier to travel when you've got a literal desert demon as your patron. Yes, true. So it could be one of the odd little advantages that it has post becoming a settlement instead of a monastery is everyone else is kind of bound by the standard rules of the desert. We can only travel so far with, with so many caravans with supplies. They can go a lot further because the desert's a lot kinder to them as long as they bear its laws with them and all of that nonsense. And the flip side, in both scenarios, if you want to catch the monks out and deal with them, I'd imagine that the laws are as much magically enforced by the place as they are physically by the monks. Mm -hmm. So you just basically trick whichever one is your antagonist problem into making a slip up. Yes. And then boom. And then vice versa, the way you deal with the proper demon, find out what its rules are, manage to make it break one of them. Because Cecily never does rules for thee and not for me. That's the way that sort of all your old second edition ones, because second edition was great for giving you odd ways to take out demons that you can't beat in a fight. And that was how you do it with Cecily. Find out what its rules are and trick it into breaking them because it'll send itself back to hell as a matter of obligation. That's nice. That's a good way of wrapping up anything that you can sort of do about that. Okay, and in that case, should we just put a bow on this? What's the name of the place? Ooh, we need an exalted name. Yes, yes, we do. I'm thinking something like Shining Oasis of the Perfect Reflected Ordinance or something like that. Yeah, I'm liking that. I'm thinking I kind of want to put something like I want to put something like Bastion in there or something else like that to just sort of give the little hint of the authoritarianism to come sort of thing. So it's probably like, since it's in a desert and all your desert stuff... Jam and the Jazz and everyone are characterised by basically hunger and thirst and need for things. The Fortress of Plenty. Oh, I like it. <laughs> yes. I was trying to think, do we put something in for the laws and such like, but... You can, you can do that game to game. We can stick another word in there or something, like the something Fortress of Plenty, but the first adjective has to be something to do with laws. Oh, the upright and just fortress of plenty. It's exalted. Why use one word when you can use three? <laughs> the upright and just fortress of plenty. I like it. Because <laughs> that also sounds like something the Immaculates would call <laughs> things without fully realising it wasn't entirely their idea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what the laws are, you can basically change from game to game. The only yes. broad standard is that Cecilyne loves hierarchy, which is, again, another reason that this can work for Nemon. Yes. So you can have things like always obey what your superior tells you, and this can include things like idiomatic speech 
and such like. So if if that, <laughs> break a leg, yeah, that's kind of almost leaning into the kind of the tragic and the absurd. It depends on how much you want to really emphasize that sort of an angle to it because you can end up with some really stupid stuff if you take that literally and i don't think that this sort of a place would encourage that kind of oh look isn't that weird kind of laughter but i was gonna say it's usually always obey those above you the flip side would kind of and this is probably where you catch them out of some obligation to those beneath you because that is sort of the other half with it because in this sort of Cecilinian tradition thing where again, where they try and give you stuff for, this is why your player can like them, we promise. It's the thing of, yeah, no, it's one for the deserts. You take care of the thirsty and the hungry. That's it. Deny no one water. You've built an oasis here. Yes, and so you have to take in the refugees and it kind of spirals from there. And you can also have things like the written word or some something about respecting the immaculate texts, which can translate yeah. to don't do bad things to the physical books, as well as the laws and so on that are set down within the faith and yeah. those other bits. Yeah, you basically pick all of these little immaculate traditions that you've noticed everywhere else. You biblical literalism them. And so it's like the case of the no idols rule. That's the one I always love, because that's the case of like, yeah, when like some refugees come in with a little towel with the dragons on, not just the towel gets burned, the refugee gets burned. Yes. Because that's how this goes. And then the flip side, if you do it, is basically you somehow manage to, again, trick them into somehow doing something that counts enough for a graven idol. Yeah, and that can also be kind of one of your red flags, your exceptions. Like you were saying earlier, like, why is there a statue of a scorpion here? You can have statues and so on in place so long as they're not intended to be worshipped. If they are performing a sorceress function like binding the demon, then they get around the rule and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's again the way of then you flip that on the demon if and when it breaks out. I know you didn't like the sort of wordplay with the idiomatic speech, but you can almost get the thing of play on the ego bit the moment it calls itself a god. <laughs> You're still bound by immaculate rules. <laughs> yeah. Trick it into that sort of thing and it's all set. Mm. But yeah, I think we've got a manse and a dozen different plot threads there. <laughs> yeah. All because we let me have a rant about Malpheus, one of my favourite bits about the Exalted setting because it's all weird and metaphorical. Yeah. <laughs> all good fun. But yes. And we've got years until we get to it. <laughs> oh, come on. We need to be a bit more I forget where it is in our structure, but it's not near the beginning. This is true. <laughs> this is true. But yes. And with that, I think we are about done. In which case, join us next time and we will be discussing the wonderful, wonderful and often overlooked and favour of the underdogs and I'm sure some, some things that Rails is going to come up with to be horribly negative about. House. I don't actually have a beef with them. Ah! I have no opinions about House Nellens. Excellent. We were joking about Nemon being boring, but House Nellens is in every way a non-contender as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we'll see. But yes, next time we will be discussing what you can do with House Nellens. <laughs> so do join us then. And until then, please do leave us a review wherever you're listening, if you liked what you're listening to, and drop us an email at wondrousatlas at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wondrousatlas. And until next time, thank you ever so much for opening the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny with us. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, an exalted podcast presented by Aramithius and Rails. Check out the show notes and story seeds from this episode at wondrousatlas.wordpress.com. And if you have any questions, drop us an email at wondrousatlas at gmail.com. 
The opening music for this podcast is Travelling to the Blessed Isle by James Semple, and the closing music is Exploring Creation, also by James Semple. Both tracks are taken from the album Exalted, Dreams of the Second Age, and are property of Onyx Path Publishing, used with permission. It's great. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here to confuse the reference monitors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you've confused me now. Never mind if anyone who's listening. I also imagine she sounds yeah. like Isma from Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> Not one I've seen. But tragic. Yeah. You need to expand your Disney watch. Yeah. No. <laughs> Just no.